We can go home at this point. Was that amazing? Band, everybody, Erica, amazing. We need to do that at Easter. Don't you think we should? I definitely think we need to do that. I'm excited to be with you today. Um, this is fun. I'm, I'm really excited because Cody and Josh planned the service and they included two of my favorite songs. So thank you. That was one of them. And the one that we're gonna sing after this is next. But I'm excited because I get to talk on something I'm really passionate about. I did a part of this message at Smash Women's Retreat. Women, sign up. May, it's coming for Smash. Um, and also I did it at a midweek and so they asked me to do it on a weekend. Um, and a lot of it's just my story that I want you to hear, but I feel like in life, a lot of us have themes. I have a couple themes in my life that I'm really passionate about. One is surrender, because I saw my life take off in a whole new way when I surrendered everything to Jesus. And another one is freedom. That God, it's just what this song talked about, because Jesus rose from the grave, we have freedom. He set us free from bondage and sin and death. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. But as we begin, I want to ask you, how many of you have been in some sort of training, whether a sport, a job? Like, raise your hand. Let's see something. And honestly, every hand should go up because school is training, right? So you've been through school. I did this with the Lions Bible study, the wives, went this past year. I said, add up all your years of school training, all your years of sports and all different sports or music or whatever you've become good at or your jobs and add it up. And each person had over 100 years of training if you add everything up. And so I look at that and here's this little pet peeve I have of we get this training for a vocation and a job. But how much training do we have in a couple areas? One, our spiritual walk with God. Like I was a gymnast for years and we didn't get training in this. And so here's what happened to me as a gymnast growing up. Um, I would go to gymnastics meet and I would have practice six nights a week. Those six practices every week were grueling. I was, I was competed in the all around, but for, for a gymnast, you have to be strong. So we would do 500 push-ups every night. We'd do 500 sit-ups every night. We'd, it would just be grueling. But there's this one girl, Cindy, on our team, she hated the training aspect. She hated it. So somehow she would just flit about, and we loved her, and she's funny, she's fun. But somehow she'd always be out of the room when we were doing all the grueling stuff, like the sit-ups and push-ups. But this one, we had this one gymnastics meet where she was up, and she didn't practice real hard. She didn't train hard. And so she gets up on the balance beam, and the balance beam's in this one separate room. We have two beams in there. Balance beam in gymnastics is very quiet. The room is just deathly quiet. And our whole team is sitting against the wall. The judges are there. Another whole team sitting against the wall. Several teams in the room. So Cindy gets up. She starts performing. And she does this move where she does this, this hard leap. And she starts falling. And if you've ever watched gymnastics, you know you can't fall. Because if you touch the ground, you're deducted so many points. So she's doing everything in her power to keep from falling. So she's doing this, you know, and some people do this. But then she gets out of control and she goes down and she grabs the beam, but she's doing everything in her power to not fall to, onto her, put her feet on the ground. So she grabs the beam like this and then she turns and she's hanging upside down <laughs> like this underneath the beam. And we are laughing. Like, have you ever been at a place where you can't laugh, but you want to laugh? And so, you know, we're like, <laughs> we're trying not to laugh. So then she's down here. Can you believe I'm doing this? She's down here like this. And she tries to like take her leg and she's scooting up like, ugh. And she's doing this. And as she does this, 
She lets the biggest fart you have ever heard in your life. Like, it just echoes in the whole room. And at this point, everyone just loses it. The, the, even the judges are like, you know, they're just laughing. She's so, can you imagine how humiliated she was? So she's so humiliated, somehow she finishes. And we're like trying to cheer up. It's okay, man, that was awesome. That was so funny. But the sad thing was, is she quit after that because she was humiliated and embarrassed and she felt like she was a failure. And I look at Christians a lot and I see that we're all in, but sometimes we don't put more than one hour a week into our training. And so I see people fall and then they become discouraged and they feel like, I can't do this, it's too hard. So today is training day. And we wanna look at what does it look like? What are some of the truths that God says about us? Who does he say that we are? So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna have the ushers come down. Thank you for giving, many of you give on. I'm out of breath from just doing that. <laughs> I guess I need some training, some cardio training. Um, we're gonna have the ushers come down. If you're visiting, thank you for coming. Look at you, look, I thought everybody was gonna be in Florida. Who, who needs Florida when we get those songs? Look at you, way to go. If you're visiting, please don't feel like you need to give, but this is a time for us to give back and thank God. So Father, thank you so much. I pray that you would open our ears today. We wanna hear you, God. We wanna hear your voice, we wanna hear what you say. And so Father, we pray that you would take all distractions away and we would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I was thinking about this journey, Here's one of the things that I've struggled with in my Christian walk, is getting all this head knowledge. Some of you have head knowledge, you know the Bible. Dave and I went to three years of seminary. We spent three summers at Institute of Biblical Studies. We've been in ministry for 38 years. So I have all this knowledge about God up here and we live in a culture, a Western culture, that very much values science, knowledge, analytical thinking. And those are all great things. But sometimes those things can get up here in our head. But here's what I've struggled with. I know, just like that song, God loves us. I know Jesus came and he died for me. All that's up here. But what I have found in my life is I've had a hard time getting it from here down to here into my heart and really feeling that. Have you ever thought this? I know God loves me, but why do I struggle with loving myself? I know I'm a child of God, but why do I feel so alone? I know I'm victorious in Christ, but why don't I have self-control? And why do I keep falling in my same old sin patterns of doing things I don't want to do? I know the Bible says I am fearfully and wonderfully made, but why do I still feel this deep shame and I'm not even satisfied with who I am or how I look? I know God gives this peace, but why do I still worry? I have fear, I have anxiety, and I have depression. I know I'm forgiven, but why do I struggle with so much guilt? And as being a believer and follower of Christ, I have seen people know so much, but I have seen them so in bondage to these negative thoughts of who they are. And when I look at Romans 12, it's one of my favorite verses. But the second part, 12.2, says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. And isn't that what we want? I wanna be transformed. And how do we do that? He transforms us into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. By changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so one of my questions today is, what do you think about yourself? Because the truth is, here's what we know. God loves you. God made you and he has a plan for you. I sit here and think, there is a God that knows everything about you. He knows everything. And some, for some of you, that's scary. Like, oh, does he know? Does he see what I did? He sees all of it and he still says, I love you. I see you. I believe in you. And that's what we need to remember. But why do we struggle? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139. And it talks about how God created us. And I've been teaching this. I'm going to share how I teach, taught this to my grandchild. I taught it to our kids really growing up. But look at what he, David says in this psalm. And he's talking to God. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. It's like us saying, look at me, God. Look how I am wonderfully complex. Look at what you've done in me. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter conclusion seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Just that alone, from the time you were conceived, God knit you together, he saw you, he created you with a purpose in mind. And when I look at that, I'm, I'm reminded of how we need to value and protect life even life that's before it's even born. There's a new movie out called Unplanned that I can't wait to see. But it talks about how we need to fight for the life of these babies. And it also says, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. So all this is saying, God loves you, he knit you together, and he made you for something. When our boys were little, I remember saying to them, God has something so special for you. And they would say, is it a present? <laughs> and I would be like, kinda. When you discover why you were put on this planet, that is a present. I know that when I was in second grade, this sounds crazy, I was eight years old, I can remember thinking, why was I put on this planet? That sounds really early, but I asked my 80-year-old dad years ago. I asked my dad, who was 80 then. I said, Dad, when was the first time you thought, why am I put on this per earth? What am I supposed to do? And he goes, I've never had that thought in my entire life till this very minute. <laughs> but some of you, we should think that. Like, do you realize that you were knit together for something? And when God created you, he thinks it's amazing? I was sharing this with my granddaughter last summer, Olive. I have a picture of her. Look how cute she is. <laughs> anyway, I was sitting alone at that kitchen table with Olive this day. And I remember saying to you, I said, Olive, do you know how much God loves you? And she, I love, like she was three at the time. Now she's four. She goes, he does? I said, he loves you so much. And he, he put you together. He put things into you. Like you're so compassionate. Like when, you, when somebody's hurt, you cry with them. That's from God. That's something that he put in you. And you're funny. You're just funny. She, and she's like, I know, I'm funny. So I'm going through all these things of who she is. And you're a good sister. You're kind. You're fun. And I said, and look at your blue eyes. God put those blue eyes in you. Specifically, he wanted you to have those. And look at your blonde hair. For some reason, God said, I'm going to put blonde hair on Olive. And she's, like, she's just so cute. And it's, I pictured it like this. It's almost like, Olive, this is you. 
And God, this is you right here. And God had all these great things and plans for you. And he put them into you. And he said, wait till you see what I have in store for you, Olive. And these are all great things. They're good things. And I said to this to Olive. And when he put it all together, he was showing off. And it's almost like the Lion King. Remember the Lion King? It's almost like he said... Jesus was in the room and the Holy Spirit and all the angels were in the room and he knit you together and he said, this is Olive Wilson and he held you up like this and they're like, oh, yes, yes. And they're celebrating like, God, look what you did. And Olive is like, this is amazing. <laughs> and it was so funny because later that day we're, with, we're out and we're shopping and this man goes up to Olive and he said, look at your blonde hair. And she said, God put that on me. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing if we could do that? Where if somebody would say something, we were like, God put that on me. This is who I am. Do you know what this is? This is true identity. Everything about you, God delights in. Everything, everything. There's nothing blemished. There's no blame. There's no shame. There's no deterrent to the beauty of who God sees you as. I want you to see this as your true identity. So what's the problem? What happens? What happens is, We grow up and things happen to us. Hard things happen to us. And I love what Jesus says when he came because he comes and he says this, I have come. Think about Jesus being all around all of you. And he stood up on the stage and he says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. That's why I've come. I want you to have life and I want you to have it to the full. And you know what he says? That's the second thing he says. You know what he said before that? He said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who's the thief? Satan. I don't know if you believe this, but I believe that there is an enemy to our souls and his name is Satan. I believe him because Jesus talked about him and talked about him 25% of his dialogue was about the enemy and the battle over your soul. So if it's important to him, I think it's important to us. And it's not that Satan causes all the bad because we live in a broken world. We have things that happen, that people are messed up and we have negative things that happen. So Satan's not behind everything, but he's behind a lot because his goal is to cover this up, to destroy this and to destroy all the true identity that God has put on you. Because he knows this, God is madly in love with you. He loves you more than anything. And we are God's passion and joy. And he will do anything to destroy what God made. Satan will do anything to destroy what God made. Because Satan hates you. Satan wants to destroy you. And Satan has a plan for you. And that plan is you will never live out what God put in you to do. And it's not even about doing for God. It's about becoming who he made you to be. I love what Priscilla Shire said in her quote. She says this, the battles your enemy wages against you, especially the most acute, consistent ones, possess a personality to them, an intimate knowledge of who you are and the precise pressure point where you can most easily be taken down. Random accident, lucky guess, I don't think so. These areas of your greatest fear and anxiety in your life are clues to some important spiritual information. They reveal, among other things, that a personalized strategy has been insidiously put in place to destroy your vibrancy and render you 
defeated. So with this epic battle, what does that look like? And I'm a visual learner, and so I wanted you to walk you through my life, and some of you have heard some of these stories, but I want you to just to see what it's like in just one person's life. So for me, um, I have a picture of myself when I was about six years old. And um, it's so interesting that there's such innocent impurity in that picture of a little girl. And yet this is the age that I was the first time that I felt like something must be wrong with me. Because sexual abuse had happened several times and this last time it just went into my head, something is wrong with me. And I began to just, and as, as you're growing up, you don't even think it's just life. You don't even know it's wrong. You don't know anything. But it's almost like this covering starts to happen where that lie of there must be something wrong with me starts to cover up my true identity. So I wear that for a while and that goes on. And then I get a little bit older and I'm 12 years old and I have just competed in the biggest gymnastic meet of my life, and it was nationals, and I had placed nationally in the all-around. I had placed in every event, and my brother and my dad were out at a baseball game. My dad was a coach. My brother was nine years older than me, and they weren't home when I got home from my meet, but I told my mom as I was going to bed, hey, when my brother and my dad get home, Make sure they come in so you can wake, they can wake me up. And I displayed my, my, all my ribbons and my medals on my, on my counter in the dresser in my room so they could see them. And so they came in my room. They woke me up. They were both standing there. And I said, did you see what I did today? Did you see that I placed? Did you see everything? And let me tell you, I know their heart was good. They didn't mean to hurt me. None of this was for ill intent, but thinking it would motivate me, they said to me, we are the barons. Do not come home unless you have first place. What does that say? You're not good enough. You need to achieve to be loved. And so what does that do? All of a sudden, performing gymnastics, all of a sudden I felt intense pressure and that was started to cover up my true identity of fear. I was suddenly in competition. Do you know I don't think I ever complimented someone until I was probably in my late, this is embarrassing, late 20s because I felt like I was always in competition because I had to be the best. And if I complimented somebody, it might give them an edge over me because of some of those comments. Then I get older, get through gymnastics, and be, as I'm gymnastics, I be also become a cheerleader. So I'm a sophomore in high school, and some of you have heard this story, but it's picture day. We're gonna have pictures taken for the program. So all the cheerleaders were together at my friend's house. We're all getting ready, and when I walked into the door to my friend's house, her mom saw me, and she said, oh, Anne, you always look so cute. And I said, oh, thank you. We all got ready, we went out to get our pictures taken. You can put up that picture. And so we go out, this, this is that day in that field, that's me on the far right base. And what had happened was I went over there to get the pictures taken and I had forgotten something and I left it at my friend's house who and she lived right across the street from this. So I ran over and as I walked in the door, I could hear my friend's mom and my friend's sister talking. They didn't know I walked in the door. And what I heard was her sister say, I can't believe you told Ann Barron she's cute. She's so ugly. 
And her mom replies, I know, but at least she tries hard. So, I want you to think about true identity. God's saying, Anne, you're perfectly, you're wonderfully made. What does the enemy say? You're ugly, you're worthless. There's nothing pretty in you. And when people give you compliments, it's probably a lie, and they're talking behind your back. And so, you have this black that starts to cover you, and that's what started to cover me. And what happened then after a while is I would see myself in a certain way, and I'd look at myself in the mirror, and instead of seeing this true identity of God saying, look at her, I saw things like this. You're worthless. You're not good enough. You're ugly. You're alone. This is a new one I wear. You're too old. <laughs> You're hopeless. You're fat. You're unloved. You're not wanted. And so, do you see the battle taking place? We are these delights to God. And things happen in life that maybe aren't your fault. But suddenly you start hearing things that aren't true and you start to be covered up. And pretty soon, instead of someone say it to you, you start saying it to yourself. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm worthless. I'm alone. I'm not wanted. You have no self-control. You're stupid. And all of these things, you know what it becomes? It becomes a new dialogue and language. Whose language? Who speaks that language? Satan. The enemy of our soul speaks death to us every day. And that's why the last two weeks we've been seeing God's language is life, it's hope, it's resurrection power, it's beauty, it's love. And yet this becomes normal for us. It becomes a way of life. And here's what I realized for my, oh, Cody, I forgot the cage. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about that. For my whole life, <laughs> I feel like my whole Christian life, here's what happens. When God, when Jesus came, when he died and he was resurrected, he set us free, didn't we? Set us free from bondage, from slavery. In fact, he said, I have come to set the captive, what? Free. And yet here I was free. I had given my life to Jesus. But can I tell you, huh? Oh, this is a first at Kensington right here. I'd like to see you and dad in this cage, Cody. Here's what happens. I lived most of my early years in total bondage. And Jesus says, Anne, I've opened the door. I died on the cross. I resurrected so that you can get out. Live what I've called you to be. Live out your true identity. And I was stuck. And it wasn't until I gave God all the lies, all the things I was carrying, and I surrendered it, that I found freedom. And when we get out and we take our place as rightful heirs of children of God, it's almost like all of heaven is saying, my child is getting out. Get out. 
get out, Ann Wilson, and live the person that I've created you to be because God has set us free from that. He doesn't want us to feel ugly or alone or worthless. He wants to take all of it off of us. And for the first time in my life, it wasn't even that long ago, I realized I am living in bondage and I started to take off the lies and recognize them and confess them. God, this is what I've been believing my whole life. And I love the illustration of Moses. Because, and, and let me show you this picture. Will you guys show up, put the one up of the mirror? And here's what I'd love for you to do. Figure out, this is what I felt like. Every morning I'd look at myself in the mirror and this was my false identity. These are the things I saw and Satan just reiterated. You're alone, you're depressed, you're worthless, you're angry, you're stupid. What are the things you have believed? Because all of us have had things. Here's what Donna Winship, I love this quote by her. She said this, self-hatred or lack of self-esteem is denying everything God created you to be and choosing to see yourself as the enemy wants you to be seen. This is actually a form of pride and that pride is not necessarily thinking a lot of yourself, but is thinking of yourself a lot. You are believing yourself more than you're believing God. And so what I realized is that's what I was doing. I was believing Satan instead of believing God. And do you know in Exodus, when you talk about the greatest leader of all time probably in the Bible was Moses. And Moses was the man that took the people of Israel who were slaves and in bondage in, Israel, in Egypt and he brought them out of slavery. And here's Moses. He was brought up in this area where he was brought up as a prince. And yet he talks to God in the burning bush moment and God speaks out, this is who you are and this is what I've created you to do. And here, here's what Moses says. God says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Three times God, Moses protests to God saying, I can't, I can't, I, I'm not that guy. Two more times he pleads with God. Then he says in Exodus 4, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Lord, I am not good with words. I've never been, and I'm not even now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And let me tell you about Moses. I want, look, look at this verse in Acts 7.22. It says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. You see, Moses was raised as a prince in the palaces of Egypt where they had the best educational system in the entire world at the time that was similar to an education at Yale or Oxford. He was smart, he was articulate, and yet he fled because he had killed an Egyptian and Satan started speaking lies to him that you're nobody, you can't speak, you can't lead. And God said, step out, step out into I've called you to be Moses. And do you know that he led two million people for 40 years? in a desert, like that's a true leader that can do that. And what has God called you to be? Who are you? Do you hear who you are? Who are you and who does God say that you are? And I'm telling you, I've had to learn this. I am desperate for Jesus because I have to be before him every day. I look at you, I look at those of you who are in school still. And I think, do you realize the war, the battle that's waging over you? 
I'm seeing some of you, maybe some of your friends, maybe you've experienced extreme anxiety, depression. The suicide rate among teams has skyrocketed. The enemy longs to seek, steal, and, const- and, and destroy your life. And you guys were put on this planet. I feel like those of you who are still in school, you are the generation who we need to rise up. You will rise up to change this world for the better. I look at you women, and I look at you and I think, do you look, see the power and influence you carry as women? Like when we lock arms together, we are unbelievably strong and we are world changers. When we lock arms together, but Satan distracts us and we become insecure and we gossip and we compare to each other. That's where he tries to get us. And I look at you men. Oh, men, we need you more than ever. We need you to protect us, to stand up for what is right and what is good. And, the, the, and Satan longs to take you out and makes you passive. The enemy continues to speak lies into you that you're not good enough. And God is saying, you're my man. I've created you for good things. What would it look like if we would walk out of the cage? We'd spend every, time, every day with Jesus in our training and say, God, who am I? What are the lies that I'm believing to God? Because I don't want to carry them any longer. So today, we're going to do that. We're going to ask God, like, what are the things we've been carrying? What are the lies that I believe? Because I want to rip them off, God. And I want to live out and stand in my true identity of this is who I am. This is who you've made me to be. And let me, God, see you, who you are and who I am, so that I can be content, be filled, be strong, be powerful in who you say that I am. And then we go out and we change the world together. So I'm going to pray. And I, when I pray sometimes... This is, this is how I'm wired. I pray visually. I see things. I just walk people through things that they can see, and it makes it more clear. So I'm going to do that. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to identify lies that you might hear. And I want you to visually take those and get rid of them, whether you write them down or later we're going to take them to the cross if you want, and we're going to leave them there because we don't want to carry around the lies anymore. So, Father, we come before you. And we want to hear your voice. God, every single person here, we want to hear who we are and who you say we are and how you knit us together. We thank you that you are the king, the God of the universe, the the almighty, the great I am. We thank you, Jesus, for coming, for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood, that we may have life. And you rose from the dead, proving, proving that you are the son of God. And we come in that name and that power and the blood of Jesus. We declare that you will silence the enemy's voice, our own lies, the stuff that we've carried for years. All of that will be silent as we come to you. So I want you to picture yourself in a field, green grass, the sun is out, the sky is blue, and you're walking down a path. It feels good. And up ahead, you see a cross and you see a man standing at the cross and you recognize that it's Jesus and he's motioning for you and he's excited and he's saying, come, come and I wanna talk to you. What's that feel like as he's motioning you to come? So you walk to him and you stand before him and he is totally thrilled that you're standing there. And then you tell him, Lord, these are the lies. These are the things that I've believed, the things that have happened to me. 
and I want you to hand them to him and identify each one what's the lie, what's happened. I want you to picture it, handing it over to him. What's he do with it? And he tells you, those lies are not who you are. And then he hugs you, and he whispers in your ear, this is who you are. What's he say? What do you feel? Father, what do you want us to know? Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can picture you. We use our imaginations for all kinds of things, but we want to use it for good. We want to use it to see you, to experience you, to, to hear you. God, will you fight for us? Will you fight on our behalf the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our true identity? Help us not to live in our false identity, but in who you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do this last song, and I want to tell you the story behind it, because you've probably heard it on the radio. You've heard it everywhere, probably. It's by Lauren Daigle. It's the, it's the song you say. But last month, Dave and I were interviewing on the radio a guy named Chip Ingram, who's an author, he's a pastor. And he was telling us about his son, who had drifted away from God, and he told his mom and dad, I no longer believe. And so he left as a prodigal, and he just went to find life. And years later, and it killed his parents, killed them. And years later, he came back. And he said, I want you to know that I believe again. And they said, what happened? And he said, I went out trying to find life. And the only thing I could think of was that the people that I saw the most life in was you guys, my mom and dad. I see Jesus in you. I see the power that he's given you. I see who you are and who you reflect. And I want that. And so what happened was, Jason started writing music, and he's won Grammys and Dove Awards, and he wrote this song you're about to hear. And I love it because it speaks truth and identity of the struggle that he went through and the bondage where he lived in bondage, and now he is set free, and he wants us to be set free too. Oh, and one more thing. Oh, no, I'll do that after. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm not as cool as you and Dad. Okay. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) 